Knox Game Design, February 2021, Mazes. Welcome everyone to Knox Game Design for February 2021. This month we're going to be talking about mazes. So about mazes, first of all, if you're talking about mazes, we're really talking about graph theories. Most mazes, whether they be rectangular or circular or hexagrams or whatever, can be broken into a group of nodes which are connected by edges. Uh, there are multiple algorithms that you can actually use to solve mazes or to generate mazes. Uh, the two I'll be talking about are Prim's algorithm and Kreskal's ag algorithm. If you're working with a rectangular maze, basically it can be broken down to a set of nodes, as I mentioned, with four edges for each node. One for like the, the node above it, the one below, the one to the left and the one to the right, or north, the south, east, and west. So for Prim's algorithm, that's the first one that I'll talk about. There's two approaches that you can use for generating a maze using Prim's algorithm. Uh, the first approach is having a grid of cells that each have walls which connect one cell to the other four cells, which I talked about previously. The second approach is actually having the cells themselves actually be the walls. So you're not actually tracking a separate set of edges for... Um, the walls. You'll, you'll just have the cells connected to each other and then the actual cells will form the walls themselves. So in the first case when you actually have walls defined themselves uh, that gives you the ability to have thin walls. You can make the walls as big or small as you want. In the second approach if you're actually making the cells of the walls then your walls are going to be as big as the cells themselves. One thing I'll say about the second approach is, I mentioned here, it's actually easier to implement the second method where you're actually making the cells the walls themselves because you're not having to keep track of a second list of edges or walls. So for Prim's algorithm, I actually implemented this in Unity. Um, the first approach, what you need to do is to create an array or a list of cells. And what I did is I just created a cell type, a cell game object, and then I just have one big list of cells. Now you could implement this with a 2D array as well. Uh, I find that a little bit more restricting because then your maze has to be a rectangular set of cells. But if you define it as a list or as a tree or some other data structure like that, then you have a little bit more options on how you want to have your maze laid out. So with Prim's algorithm, what you want to do is, like I said, create the cells, and then you want to create the walls. So for every cell, you want to define the four walls. And what I do is I actually have uh, a list in each wall, a list of the connected cells. And actually, it's just two values. So you could just create a specific data structure that holds references to the two um, adjoining cells. But one thing that I found out that's nice about using a list is you can use the dot contains method. So you can say, hey, 
does this wall connect a certain cell? So that's why I used a list. Um, might be wasting. I mean, it is a dynamic data structure and it will only be holding two values. So I don't know if it's that efficient, but it makes implementation a little bit easier. So in the Prim's algorithm approaches, you want to select one cell and you want to either like what they call open or add it to the maze. And that's what's signified by the yellow cells in the, in the top picture there. Those are the open cells which have been added to the maze. So once you add it, then all the adjacent cells, you want to mark what they call frontier cells. Um, so those are the ones in the light pink there. So then after that loop, you want to start a new loop where you pick a frontier cell and then open that frontier cell, add it to the maze, and then you want to mark all of the other cells around that cell as the new frontier cells. Yeah, so you basically want to repeat that process of selecting one of the frontier cells at random, then opening it, adding it to the maze. For the frontier cell that you select, then you want to remove the wall between that frontier cell and one of the cells that are already in the maze. So you just keep repeating that process until you have more, no more frontier cells that exist. So there's a good reference, this guy, Jameis Buck, he actually wrote a book, which I'll, I'll share the link uh, at the end. But he's actually implemented a lot of these different algorithms. And he's actually provided Ruby code on his side. I didn't use that code. But he does a good explanation of how to uh, implement these just in, in a high-level description. Yeah, so there's a lot of good information on... Uh, it's actually called the Buck Blog. And he actually goes into... Uh, a good explanation of how to actually implement these in whatever language you choose. Uh, I relied on this heavily right here. Then he actually gives uh, explanations uh, and implementation in Ruby. So this is my implementation of Prims. I actually implemented both Prims and Crescals and I put them under a drop down so you can actually press generate. And I got a slider that can speed up or slow down the process. But you can see for every step it's selecting one of those frontier cells then adding it to the maze and then removing the wall between that frontier cell the former frontier cell which is now in the maze and the existing maze. You can actually change the camera to give you more of a 3D view sound effects which I'll try to turn down and then I added where you can actually instantiate a player and uh, yeah try to solve walk through the maze yourself uh, there is no it just picks the lower left hand corner zero zero as the starting point and there's real really no ending point you can just like maybe try to get to the upper right hand corner by going through this maze. So one interesting thing about both the Prims and the Crescales algorithms is that for any point, any cell in the maze, you're able to reach any other point in the maze. Uh, 
there is, there is a valid path between any two cells in the maze. So that's kind of helpful that you know that um, that you're you're able to get to any point in the maze. So I just made it to the upper right hand corner of the maze right here. I don't have it like you can switch back to the 2D or 3D overhead views, but it doesn't actually show where the player is on the map here. But uh, yeah, you can pick any point in here and like find your way to any other cell in the map. Uh, I do have it where you can change the layouts, so you can have like a maze with the inner cells removed. And this is one benefit in using a dynamic data structure, such as a list of cells or a tree opposed to a 2D array, because 2D array, you can still implement this, but then you would have to um, have a marker saying that those inner cells are invalid. And then you would have to have some additional code in there to handle whether that cell is. So yeah, I think it's a lot easier just implementing. So I'm gonna show you the code here. So I got maze manager right here. Actually you have scripts right here. So I have a cell. So a cell is basically a node in a graph, in a graph data structure. I'll make this a little bit smaller right here. And I tried to make this object-oriented. If I if I was to go back and do this again, I'd probably create different types of cells. A cell type for the Prim's algorithm and a cell type for the Kruskal's algorithm. Uh, but I just have instance variables specifically for Prim's and Kruskal's defined in the cell um, object. This is a cell class. So for prims, you need to know whether the cell is in the maze and if it is a frontier cell. Now, I have a maze manager, which is is what really drives everything. And I could have defined another list data structure of that keeps track of the frontier cells in here. But I decided just to have a marker in the cell itself to tell you whether it's a frontier or not. Then I actually have a method, I think it's called uh, get frontier cells. Yeah, right here. So it's gonna create, it's gonna create that list on the fly right here for you. And then it's gonna check. So it's another loop. So uh, it's debatable how you wanna set this up. This is the way that I did it. You just call get frontier cells, then it will loop through all of the cells and return the ones that have uh, the frontier cell property set to true. But as you can see in my maze manager right here, the first thing it's going to do, um, I call this setup cells and walls right here. And that's going to go through and it's going to create your cell data types. And also I have a wall data type. So I was actually talking about that. A little bit, or that's just a holder for the cells. I actually have a, a prefab for both the cell and the wall and also the player. And the boundary is just a, a specified occurrence of a wall. It's a wall that doesn't, that, that can't be removed or added. It doesn't have neighbors or anything like that. It's basically the boundary to keep the player from walking outside the maze. So if we look at wall... So here's what I was talking about earlier. We're going to have a list of connected cells, which is 
In most cases, it's just going to connect two cells together. Now, if you look at graph theory and different types of problems in graph theories, sometimes you have weighted graphs. But in this case, we're just going to assume all the connections from one cell to another are just one or, or, or whatever the, I guess, like nominal value is. It just really doesn't matter. All the connections, all the walls are going to be the same weight between all the cells. And it really doesn't have anything else. I mean, it just has a reference to the model, so I can change the color of the wall if I need to, which I used in the Kruskal's algorithm. And then I can set it to highlight, which I use in Kruskal's. So then after we set up all the cells, then we're going to set up all the walls to the cells. So by, when the maze algorithm starts, we're going to have walls. I can do like, I have four, three lay, four layouts defined here. So here's one that's kind of like in an H shape right here. So basically we're going to start with walls between all the cells. Then we're going to remove those walls until we have the completed maze. So you can see the maze that we have there, then we can play it right here. The one difference that I really noticed between Prims and Kruskal's is it seems like the Kruskal's mazes are a little bit more complex. Seems like with Prims, as long as you are generally going in the in the de direction of your destination, you you will usually find your way over to the exit. Now this, uh, I'm not sure if I can get out this way or not. But with Kruskal's, it seems like it has a lot more longer corridors um, than the Prim's algorithm. Even though sometimes you still have to wiggle your way around to find your way out. And eventually, yeah, so here's the upper left hand corner. I could have put like a little flag or something here for the player to pick up, something like that. So yeah, that's pretty much the textbook implementation of Prim's algorithm. Now, the second approach, and when I did my Kitty's Adventure game back in 2015, this is the approach that I used, and I found a video on YouTube that explained this method. And this method is a whole lot easier. Now, this uses the cells themselves as walls. So in the Kitty's Adventure game, basically what I did was I put a bush uh, in a cell that that was a wall so yeah you don't keep track there's no concept of a wall object um everything you're just dealing with cells so it's pretty easy you start out with a grid of cells two by 2d by 2d uh, or a 2d array of cells and you go through every cell and you assign a random value from zero to a hundred so then you pick a starting cell so like in the kitties game i just picked the lower left hand cell and then you set it to open. And you kind of do the same process. For for all the closed cells, you're going to find, you're going to try to find a cell with the lowest value with one open adjacent cell. Then you're going to open that cell, then you're going to repeat. So it's pretty easy. Um, then you actually stop when there's no more closed cells that app that match that open condition. So here's actually the C code from my Kitty's Adventure game right here. Um, let's see if I can do a Shift F5 right there. 
So yeah, I have a maze and I define the, the rows, number of rows and columns. So basically in my kitty's adventure game, a level was just two integers. So I just increased the number of rows and columns so that every time you got a random, random uh, level, the only different, difference was the size of the grid. So this is where I loop through the number of rows and columns. And for each cell, I, I set a value and I use the C sharp or the unity random dot range function and I pass zero and then the max value. So the max value was a hundred. So that's going to assign a random value zero to a hundred for every single cell. And then, yeah, this is where I open up that lower left-hand corner. Actually, it isn't zero, zero, it's one, one. So it's one off the far lower corner. Set it open to true. Then I'm going to keep a Boolean that says whether, whether we're going to keep looping. And then I have a few uh, integers here. I'm going to want to find the lowest value. And then I want to find the, the row and column, the cell that has that lowest volume lowest value and then I'm going to keep track of how many cells I've looked at I use that for placing the collectible letters in the maze so I can see how far I am how far deep I am into generating the maze and at regular intervals I'll I'll drop a letter for the player to collect and then here's the big loop right here so we're going to set the lowest value to the maximum value which is 100 in this case so for each row and for each column for each cell in the grid we're going to check the number of adjacent cells uh, that that are open for that cell and that's just a, a an easy check we just check the 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 row in front the row behind it then the column above and the column below uh, and then if it is open, then we're going to add that to the adjacent count for, for that cell. So then we're going to say if the adjacent count is one, there's only one open adjacent cell, one cell that's been added to the maze. And if that cell isn't already added to the maze, then we're going to check to see if the value of that cell is less than uh, the lowest that's already been found. So we're going to start out with the max value. So if there's anything for the, so for the first one, if it's anything lower than the max value, it's going to be added. But then after that, we're going to check and see if there's one with one open adjacent cell that has a, a lower value than the one that was previously found. And if it was lower, if that value was lower, then we're going to set that cell as the lowest one and the lowest value. Yeah, so we just keep repeating through that process until there's no more cells that match that condition. So it's a really easy implementation. It's a lot easier than trying to cr keep track of walls. This, you just keep track of cells. And, and it's just two loops, and, and, and that's it. And that generates your maze. And this stuff below, this is where I'm actually instantiating the letters. So once you get to a certain point after you've opened a certain number of cells, then we're going we're gonna to drop a letter. So I have five letters, one K-I-T-T-Y. Um, and so if you reach uh, 
that interval for a letter, which is the number of rows times the number of columns divided by two, divided by the number of letters, then we're going to instantiate a new letter. So here's Kreskal's algorithm. It's kind of same, but it's kind of different. So what it does is, like the first implementation of prims, we're going to start out with a collection of cells and also walls, which uh, connect all those cells together. But it's a little bit different. What it does is we're going to pick, keep picking random walls. So this is from the wall perspective. So we're going to pick a wall and then if, so each cell is going to have a group ID. And so if the wall connects two cells with different cell IDs or different group IDs, then we're going to remove the wall. But if the wall exists between two connected cells with the same ID or the same group ID, then we're going to leave it in place. We're not going to do anything. So that's why I tried to implement here with the different colors. Uh, it kind of looks like there are, some of these are the same colors, but very slightly different shades. So if a wall is removed from two cells, then we're going to add them to the same group. And then we're going to, and basically the different colors here show the uh, the group IDs. That's what the different colors signify. So go ahead and show the implementation of that. So we're going to change this to Kreskal's algorithm, then press generate. By default, it's kind of slow. That's why I added this slider. You can actually make it a little bit slower than that. But then we can speed it up quite a bit as well. So you can see as we remove the different walls and then all these cells cell groups start merging together and if you hear that blooping sound that means that it selected a wall between two cells of the same group so it's, we're just going to leave it in place so the one downside of crust gals is once you get to the end you're going to have a bunch of walls that exist between cells that are in the same group. So it seems like it's kind of a wasted computation, but you have to do these computations just to make sure that there isn't like a cell out there that is in a different group. So you do have to actually leap through all those at the end. So uh, like, like my other implementation, you can change the camera view to make it 3D, and then you can press play and you can play through this Kreskal's algorithm. So if you if you look at it, it seems like this maze is a little bit more complex. You have a little bit longer corridors in this one. But as with the Prim's algorithm, if you pick any cell in here, you can find a path to any other cell in here. So let's see if I can find my way through this one. Um so this one you gotta you, know, you gotta be a little bit smarter with the Kreskals. So I think it's a, a little bit better algorithm. Unfortunately, with Kreskals, you don't have the option with of prims. You do have to separately track walls and cells. You can't use the uh, cells. At least I haven't figured out a way. I haven't really tried doing that. It may be possible, but uh, with the implementation that I have here you have to track walls and cells separately. You don't have an option. 
But yeah, it's kind of tough here. I hate to, every time I go back to the overhead view, I lose my position. See, like right here, you got to kind of go around and back here. So I made it to the upper hand corner right here. With Same as with the uh, other algorithms, I actually have another layout right here. It's kind of like an hourglass. Or you can change the algorithm to params and regenerate. And I use the params algorithm. So if we go back and look at the code, um, I do have a display UI manager class, which handles like the drop-down list and things like that. But basically, whenever you press generate, it's either going to call setup maze prims or setup maze crescals, and it's the same for setup cells and walls. And if you're really curious, what I'm, I'm doing here is I have just text files for each of these layouts. I don't know if you can, yeah, so it's just a text file with a bunch of X's that define the valid cells in the maze. And I assign those to, I have a, a layout manager class. Let me get back out of my prefab here. Or a layout reader. So I have a layout reader class. And this is something I've used for a lot of my Ludum Dory games. I think the uh, the Slowbot game and some other... It's a quick and dirty way to, to set up levels. So you just create a list of, uh, of text assets. So you see over here, text, text layout assets. So you can make it as big as you want. And then I just pass in the, the level that I want and read layout. And then I create an array here. And then for every row in that text file, using the, the split command or the split method, I'm going to split on the new line. Then for each line, I'm going to read out every character in that character array. So if the character equals an X, then I'm going to say add add that cell to the layout, set it to true. So I'm just using a Boolean to track whether it's a valid cell or not. Um, but yeah, that's basically it. And you got to remember to set your column back to zero. You want to increment your column for each loop. And then for every line, we want to increment the row and also then set the column back down to zero. It's kind of like your typewriter. You got to smack it back down to zero. <laughs> I think I talked about that last time. Old typewriters. So that's basically it for those. I guess I can go back to the maze manager. So for doing params, so here's a clear maze. Once we regenerate a maze, we're going to clear out all the walls, clear out all the cells. Here's the setup cells. We're just going to yeah read that layout right here in the layout reader. And then uh, for everyone that's, everyone that's a valid cell, then we're going to add it to the maze. We're going to instantiate a cell. Then setup walls, what setup walls actually does is it goes through every cell. Then it's going to find if that cell has a valid neighbor to the north, to the south, to the east, and west. And if it if it doesn't have a valid neighbor on any of those sides, any or all of those sides, whichever cells that doesn't have a valid neighbor, 
then it's going to put that permanent boundary there. It's, an, it's not a, a typical maze wall. It's a boundary to the maze. So that's what that's doing right there. I commented out some of the old code that I uh, had there. So then it's going to check for every cell that does have a valid uh, adjacent cell next to it. Then it's going to create a regular wall, which could or could not be in, in the maze itself. Then I have some helper function here. Like I have one called uh get the neighbor wall so you pass in uh, two cells then it's going to re return the uh wall between those two cells it's going to at least try to return a wall if it exists and i got some things like an add wall so this is going to add the wall between the two cells then then for that wall it's going to set up uh the two cells as the uh the two 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 cells that that wall connects then i have some a simple method called get cell so this is where it's a little bit inefficient so get cell what it's going to do it's going to loot it's going to go through it's going to it's going to iterate through the entire list of cells and so each cell knows its row and column so it's going to look, look through that whole list of cells and it's going to find try to find the cell in that row and column which is a little bit less efficient than using a 2D array. In a 2D array, you would just go to that position directly. You wouldn't have to go through the list of cells to find the row and column. Uh, then I have a function called get neighbor, which you pass in a specified cell, then, and then, then you're going to pass in either the row above or row below or the column above or column below, which are just integers, plus one, minus one for the row or column. Then I'll try to get the neighbor. If it doesn't find the neighbor, then it just returns null, which actually works out pretty well uh, with those uh, mazes that aren't just a rectangle shape. So you can just say, hey, if, it does, if the neighbor does not equal null, then we're going to check it. If not then we're just going to ignore it if the neighbor's null. Um, so yeah, here's where we get into the uh, methods specific to params. Like I said, this could have been implemented a little bit better. I could have had like maybe a class specifically for implementing params and a class specifically for implementing uh, crust scales, but I kind of just put them all in this maze manager and just said uh, some of these, like I just put params at the end of the method names. So for get frontier cells, it's just going to return in that list the frontier cells, all the ones that have that marked uh, frontier. And here's where we call get create maze for prims. So it's just going to. So what we do here is we mark a cell as in the maze. So it's mark cell prims, and then we're going to add it to. Um, yeah. So for the the cells that are in the maze. Then we're going to add that cell. Then remove it from the the, the cells that we've the cells that we checked. Um, actually, we don't keep a list of cells that we check. We just basically in the cell itself we keep track of whether it's frontier or not. So so we kick it off right here by picking one cell. But then in the update method. We're going to have a, this is where I have the delay based on the slider value, and I do a little bit of magic there to get the appropriate value from the slider. But then we're going to have this value. We've got a, I created a custom enum called maze algorithm, and maze algorithm is, I actually defined it in the, uh, 
display manager class, which might not be the best location for it. But basically, I have a maze algorithm enum, which uh, has two values, prims and cruscal. So that's the, the algorithm that you selected. So based on whether you've selected the prims or the cruscal's algorithm, we're either going to call create maze prims select frontier or create maze cruscal's select wall. So in prims, we're going to select the frontier cell. In cruscal's, we're going to select a wall. And in Cruscals, basically, do, we do, I should put four Cruscals right here. We're going to keep uh, track of the walls that we have selected already. So we're going, so in Cruscals, you have to go through every single wall. So yeah, here's where we're going to, for every update, or not for every update, but for every, I guess, tick, I guess you would call it, um, then we're going to select Frontier node, and this is where we're going through and checking whether uh, that Frontier connects to uh, connects to a cell currently in the maze. So that's where I have cell neighboring maze right there. Then we're going to make a passage from that Frontier to the neighbor that's in the maze. And, you know, just kind of assume that get neighbor and maze is valid because it is a valid frontier. We're assuming that it is a valid frontier node. So we're going to assume that it does have, it is connected to a cell in the maze. Otherwise, something went wrong before. So we're just going to assume that. You could put another check here if you really wanted to. that says if the cell neighbor and maze is not equal null. But we're going to assume since it is a valid frontier node, that it does have a neighbor that's in the maze. And then we're going to mark that cell right there. And then this is basically where we're playing all the blips and bloops right here. Um, so we're just going to play that beep sound. And I just kind of randomize it between four different values. Set that pitch value. Um, and I can talk about sound effects for another day. <laughs> And then if there's no frontier cells left, then uh, we're going to say is finish is true. That way we stop calling back to this function. Then we'll play the finish sound right there. And this is where we make the passage between the frontier cell and the cell that's in the maze. We just, we just want to go there and delete that wall um, from the list of cells. We have some checks right there. So for the Cruscals, I know I'm jumping back between Prims and Cruscals, but now we're going to go back and look at Cruscals right here. So we're going to have the list of walls. This is where we're creating it right here. And then we're basically, for that random list of walls, we're just going to pick from the, randomly from all the walls that, that have already been created. So we got a, a randomized list of walls right here. And then for every cell that's in the maze at the beginning, we're going to set that ID. Now, I could have like created a separate data structure for keeping track of cell groups, but I thought that was, that, that's a little bit too complicated. It might be a little bit more efficient to do it that way. I know you can do things like as you have one group of cells and you add it to the other group of cells, then then you can just like append that at the bottom of the tree or bottom of the list, which may be a little bit more efficient. But this is easier to code, where you just have a, 
a group ID on your cell. Um, so whenever you want to add one group of cells to another group of cells, you just go through all the cells in the new group and you set those to the ID of the, the group you want to add it to, which is a little bit easier to program. I think it's probably more efficient too. Uh, so this is where we're selecting a random wall for crust scales. So first of all, we're going to check and see if there's any walls in the Crescal walls list. Otherwise, we've already checked all the walls, and we're going to drop down here and say, is finished true, and play the finish sound. So once we select a wall, we're going to remove it from the Crescal's walls, as since we're, we're, we've already checked it, or we're checking it right now. Now, I did two different implementations here. So for each, for the wall that we selected, we're going to check the two adjacent cells. So I'm calling that Crescal ID 1 and Crescal ID 2. So that's going to give us the group number, those two adjacent cells. So we're going to highlight that wall saying, hey, this is the one that we're looking at right now. That's just a visual thing for the for the implementation. You don't actually have to, if you're implementing this yourself for a game, you don't have to have a set highlighted method right there. I'm just doing that for the, the graphical display here. So I created this, originally I created it using this method and I put a Boolean check around it. So I'm calling this is using simple implementation. So if you're implementing this for a game, this is all you really have to do right here. So if you're checking the ID, the group ID of the first cell and compare it to the second cell, if they don't equal each other, then we want to go through all of the cells and, and set um, the ID anywhere where the it has the first ID, we're going to second, set it to the second ID, or vice versa. It really doesn't matter. So I have this method in my cell called set ID Kruskal. So if the cell ID equals the second value, then we're going to set it to the first phase. So that's how we're merging these two groups of cells together. Like I said, this is just a simple implementation. You could use trees and append a tree node to or append list together, but this is just easier, just keeping track of IDs on uh, on the cell itself. So here's my set ID Kruskal's in the cell class right here. So basically we're just setting the value and then we're setting the color of the the, the one group to the other group. Now, for my graphical impl impl implementation, I created this uh, slightly different uh, way of doing that. <clears throat> but for this method, I'm going to check and see for the first ID. And so we're, we're doing this, still this, the same check. If the ID and the two adjacent cells, if they don't equal each other, then we're going to check and see if there's more cells that have either the first Kruskal ID or if there's more cells using the second Kruskal ID. So then we're going to add the one that has fewer values to the one that has the greater values, the greater number of cells. And the reason I did that is because when I first implemented this, there was a lot of flashing. So if there's one, just like one little red cell in the bottom, and it was getting added to a bunch of green cells at the top, then it would flash the whole thing to red, which it, it wasn't visually appealing. So I found out if you check and see him, which group has more cells, and add the smaller group to the greater group, then you have less of that flashing and flickering, which yeah can kind of make you sick if you look at it long enough. 
But yeah, you can go through there and turn that off. I mean, let's see here. You can set, uh, is using simple implementation to true? Just to give you a little taste and save that. Then, yeah, if you have epilepsy problems or anything, you may want to look away for a minute. <laughs> it's not too bad, actually. But, uh, yeah, set this to Cruscals, generate, speed this up. Let's see if it does it. So, you notice there's a little, lot more flickering of the colors right here. So that's why, yeah, you can really see it going there. So it's like flicking between red and blue and yellow and green. And there's like one little red one. So that, so one little red one in the lower left-hand corner turned the whole thing red. So that's why I added that that extra check. But, but yeah, like I was saying, if you're doing this for a game, you're not worried about showing the implementation of this. You can. You can just use that simple implementation right there. So, false. Right there. So, that's what all this extra check is doing right here. It'd be nice if there was a function that says, okay, how many... I guess you could track that along the way. I don't know. But, yeah. It's all in the code right there. But, yeah, that's basically it right there. So, that's both prims and crust scales. And, you, as always, you can check out this uh, Jameis Buck, his blog... So this guy wrote a book all about maze, and I actually ordered it, and it should be coming in the mail soon. And I kind of have a soapbox rant, box rant about that. Um, I know in the past I've used a lot of stuff on the internet, and it's like, yeah, if this guy has a book out there, I'm going to go ahead and buy it just because I don't know. I want to support other developers and everything. So yeah, I recommend is like, yeah, if you're interested in mazes, pick up the book or. Anything else you use online, just, just support the developers the best you can. And I made sure not to get it on Amazon. I used like a, a small bookseller, so I'm not giving any money to Amazon. Um, but yeah, he also has a pretty good explanation of uh, Crescals, and this is how I learned. I just read through this. I, he also has this Ruby implementation, which I didn't read his Ruby implementation, but it looks I like Ruby. I mean, it's my favorite scripting language. But it's kind of easier for me just to like read his steps here on his uh, high-level steps and kind of implement it on my own in C-sharp and Unity instead of trying to translate Ruby into translate Ruby into C-sharp. But he also has it where you can run it right here. Step or run. Can reset. Kind of the same thing. But I think this is in JavaScript. He has like a... A bigger one right here. So it kind of looks like the same thing I developed, actually. He just doesn't have all the different colors and everything that I have. Then if you look at um, his prims, I think he has the same thing. Yeah, so you can run prims right here. You can run prims right there. <laughs> Seems like his prims are actually a little bit, I don't know. A little bit more complex than the ones that I was generating. But anyway, yeah. So now that we've created a maze, I'm just going to talk a little bit, high-level overview of solving the maze. So typically, you're going to generate a maze, and you're going to give it to the player. Then you just let the player solve it, and then you don't care. But maybe if you have enemies in the maze, and you want to be able to have a method for the enemy to find the player. So you 
maybe the enemy is on a certain cell, then the player's on another cell. So you need a pathfinding algorithm for the enemy to get to the player instead of just like randomly. And that's when you get in, you look at some of these games and it look like they have bad AI and you have enemies like running into walls and everything. It's probably because it doesn't have a good pathfinding algorithm, maze solver. Um, but I'm not going to get into detail on this. I mean, that's that's talk for a whole nother time. But basically, as I talked earlier with graphs theory, you have a set of nodes that are connected by edges or walls or removed walls. And the two different methods you can use for finding a path through a maze, you can either use a depth first search or a breadth, breadth first search. And if you get into computer science, if you uh, if you go to college or university, if if you're in the if you're in Europe or you're not a kingdom, um, then you'll hear a lot about breadth first search and breadth first search and depth first search. Um, just two different ways. Depth first search is kind of like a greedy algorithm. You're just going to take the the first path that you see until you get to your destination or if you want to visit all the nodes and it's just going to take the first one it finds breadth first search kind of looks one level down and sees which one is the closest and then then from all the ones that that are the next one it chooses the the most efficient one so when you're implementing a maze solving algorithm the for, there's just a few questions you want to ask to yourself do you, do you want to visit all the nodes like do you have somebody's going to patrol the entire map that might be good like a metal gear game you just don't want your the enemy going between two cells you want them to investigate all of the nodes in, in the maze <clears throat> or are you just looking for the shortest distance between two points? Um, are you trying to find all the paths in the maze? Are you trying to find the shortest path between two points? Or do you just want any path? Like if you have a race in the maze, do you just want to find the, the first path and get to the end? That, that's kind of like a greedy algorithm. And I was reading a little bit more about this tonight. Um, another thing, if you get into co a computer science college level program you'll most definitely i'm assuming if you're in a good program in a computer uh, theory course or an algorithms course you're going to hear about p np np hard and np complete so p is problems that can be solved in polynomial time so then you got to step a level back up before you start talking about p and, and np you got to start talking about like big o and and, and runtime so uh, a big O of one or big O of a constant value is like you're going to a certain point in, in an array. You just want to jump to a certain point. Uh, linear time, I guess is complexity time. Linear time is like, okay, I need to find the greatest value in a 1D array. So i got to check every single value in the array. So I'm iterating all the way through that. So that's linear time. Then polynomial time is like when you're doing a uh, multiple loops and then you have exponential time which is even more complex than that it's like loops upon loops upon loops um, so the p is problems that can be solved in polynomial time which are pretty easy uh, if i remember correctly np are problems that can't be solved in non-deterministic polynomial time but they can be verified so if you have a solution for that problem 
the, the solution can be verified in non-deterministic polynomial time. And NP-hard problems are problems where the solution can't even be solved in non-deterministic polynomial time. And NP-complete is weird. It's like problems that are both in NP and also NP-hard. So that's all I'm going to get into it. But if you start looking at problems like the traveling salesman, there's been like a discussion on whether that's an NP or an NP-hard problem. Um, I know Dijkstra's algorithm, it, like Dijkstra's algorithm got ingrained into our brains, um, used that quite a bit. And so the difference between traveling salesman, which means you're trying to find um, the shortest distance between all nodes in a graph or like all points in a maze, uh, that's kind of like traveling salesman. Dijkstra's algorithm solves a problem where you have a specific starting point and a specific ending point. So that can be solved, or at least I know it can be, the, the solution can be verified. Now, you can also be solved in uh, non-deterministic polynomial time. Um, so having the difference of having a starting point and an ending point makes a, a huge difference in the complexity of the problem. There's another one that I didn't hear about until like a couple of years ago, but I think it's used to implement the pathfinding in GameMaker. It's called A-Star, so it's kind of the same thing, but they use what's called the best first search. So it kind of does kind of a little bit of a breath first search, I believe. I don't know all the details on A-Star, but tons of information out there that can explain it better than me. And I was going to say I actually use that. I have Game Maker pulled up right here. I actually used that in my Zeko Node Tomodachi game, and it's pretty easy. But I have like my little character here, which follows you around. So this little companion character has to find his way through the maze when it's following me. So it uses what's called a planner right here, and the planner you just create one of those using this instance create layer, and uh, you pass it the object path planner. But then it eventually calls this plan method, which you give it an X and Y coordinate to end up at. And then you use this MP underscore grid underscore path. And you pass it a grid, which is basically a 2D array of walls in the grid. And then you pass it a path object. And then it'll try and find the best path through that grid for you. So it's pretty cool that that's kind of like already built into to Game Maker for you. Then as the grid changes, or if you go into a new room, you gotta update your, your grid right there. And here's where you create the grid, actually, right here. I have a global grid called my grid, and I call MP underscore grid underscore create, and I pass it in the, uh, the, the dimensions of the room. And then also your your horizontal cells and your vertical cells and the cell size. So it's pretty cool. Like there's more information on GameMaker side about that. But yeah, there's actually um, a few other implementations, not in Unity, but just online um, that I found while I was researching this. And I have links for all this. But here's one. It's mazegenerator.net. And he, yeah, this person has it where they got different types of mazes. So he does have circular, triangle, and rectangular 
Um, I'm just going to use default values, but it's like, boom, it creates a grid for you right there. And it's got a lot of customizable values. So if you want your grid to be like 30 by 20, click generate new, then boom, right there it's done. I haven't tried circular. Let's see, generate. Yeah. So that's one thing I didn't do in Unity, the circular maze, which I, th I think is pretty fascinating. I think that'll be the next thing that I want to try. It's got it where you can download it as a PDF. Or, I don't know, PDF or I guess maybe that's just the size. But lots of different, so he, he has it where you can do triangular mazes. Yeah, that just generates a, a PDF right there. What did what was it before? Oh, I didn't want to download. I just want to generate. Yeah, so he has triangular mazes and hexagonal mazes. I think you can actually do octagons as well, but you have to have triangles within some of the corners of the octagons. But yeah, that's a pretty good site, mazegenerator.net, if you just want a maze. If you, Maybe if you have kids or something, you just want to print out some mazes for your kids or a classroom to solve. That's a good site right there. So this is integraldomain.org, and he also has a, an implementation of prims right here. He, he has three different speeds, slow, medium, fast. So this kind of does the same thing that mine does. You can actually change the size. Let's do 32, fast. It shows the frontier cells. And it just kind of keeps picking those. And you click on slow to make it go really slow, one at a time. He also has instant maze, so I guess it just turns it all out for one step. Yeah. So you can still see there's a little bit of lag in there. So it is kind of computational intensive. And he has some little bit of explanation about what he's doing right there. Yeah, or he or she, Lauren K. Williams, Associate Professor of Mathematics. Um, I don't know what university with that okay so here's the guy that wrote the book that i was talking about earlier that i used a guide so he has like one page with all the different <laughs> algorithms so he's implemented quite a few of these so he has like recursive backtracking uh, so i guess that's a pretty simple maze maybe it just checks the next cell and i don't know it kind of does it all so this gives you really really long mazes so it kind of just backtracks through and maybe it unmarks the invalid. Yeah, I don't know about I don't know about the details of that one. There's one called Eller's algorithm. Kind of looks like it just goes in rows left and right. Here, now here's Crust Gals. That's the one that one of the ones that I implemented where it just picks cells, walls at random, and joins the cells together. Here's Prims. With the frontier cells right there, uh, recursive division. I don't, yeah, I don't know anything about that one, but it just kind of looks like it kind of adds walls as it goes. There's one called blobby recursive subdivision. So I guess the point being, there's a lot of different algorithms out there for generating mazes. Here's one called Aldus border algorithm. So it kind of looks like it has one head or something right here that it kind of goes through. And here's one called Wilson's algorithm. Kind of looks like it does the same thing with frontiers or it checks off, marks certain cells. And as it gets to a certain point, 
and when, when it reaches a point in the maze and it adds those frontier cells or that marked off path to the maze it's kind of cool and there's one called Houston's algorithm pretty interesting there there's a hunt and kill algorithm I'm not sure what's going on there but it's yeah there's a growing tree algorithm there's a growing binary tree algorithm and you can tell some of these are a lot faster than another one. Like this growing binary tree algorithm, it ran pretty quickly there. There's a binary tree algorithm. kind of looks like it goes road by road. And finally, there's a sidewinder algorithm. So, yeah, I don't know the details of all of these. All I can recommend is, yeah, go out and buy the book. But I think he has, like, uh articles on all of these so it's all out there so if people are interested in mazes you can really knock yourself out with all the different types of mazes yeah and that's it here's the references in the book that i was talking about mazes for programmers mine should be on its way um this is the one that i used as a guide for kitty's um adventure when i implemented it little video right here and it shows the method of generating numbers for all the cells and this is where it goes through all the cells and finds the lowest value um, of one that touches one adjacent in the maze so it's pretty fast right there but the mazes aren't always the most interesting mazes that I've seen. But yeah, they can get pretty complex and pretty big. I remember back when we were meeting at the Techco, like uh, Jeffrey, who was in our group, um, he showed up and he was doing mazes and he'd have like these huge sheets, like just bigger than posters of, of mazes that he, he had developed. Uh, so he's worked a little bit with that as well. Here's the Kitty's Adventure, and here's the two links for Prim. Oh, yeah, if you're interested in Dijkstra's algorithm for actually finding a path using a greedy algorithm, there's a link there for that. So next up, I want to show, just go through the Discord channel and show off some of the things that people have been working on. So we've got Zachary here. He's still working on his... Uh, his, I think it's Unity, but it's uh, Unlock Fred's Markers with Journals. So it's kind of like a puzzle game, kind of looks like a kind of like a survival horror type game. But he's got like really great lighting effects. So he's got a candle, kind of a blocky candle here. And he's really got the flicker effects going down. Got it, got it down really good. And it looks like he's picking up these cards off this table. And he's got to place them on the wall. And just kind of a, a puzzle type game. So I have links to all of these um, in the monthly write-up. It's kind of like you're in a bedroom right here with a candle and you place all those on the walls right there. So I know he's been working on stuff like that for a while. 
Um, so next up we got Kendra, who's actually working with Locksmith Army uh, from our group, and they created this pretty cool looking map. It kind of reminds me of something you'd see in like one of the old Zelda instruction booklets. Um, but apparently this is a game they've been working on, or at least some ideas, and they've got some pretty good art going on here. So I'm, I'm really liking what I'm seeing from them. Um, hope they keep us updated on how that project's going. Um, so I've been working on a, uh, sorry clone. This is kind of low quality right here, but yeah, so I've been working on, uh, a game called Go Menocide. And actually I have a better version of this now that I haven't showed off. So, so yeah, it's called Go Menocide, which is, I'm sorry in Japanese, cause I don't want to call it. The name of a an already established and probably I think copyrighted and patented board game. The rules are very similar, but my game has a little bit more. You can customize it a little bit more. I'm gonna make it where you can have different colors for the players and different uh, models for the pieces. And I think I'll, I should be able to make it where it has a different number of pieces in the game. So if you don't want to play. With four pieces, you can play with three. I know different versions of Sorry you have had either three or four, but it's been a couple of weeks since I've touched this. I kind of got to the point where I had a stable game engine. But it's pretty simple. You just click on the cards at the top, and you need either a two or a one to like get from your start out onto the game board. There's some other cases when you can get out, like if you do get the Gomenesai card, then you can swap uh, with another player that's already on the on the game board. But yeah, we're not getting any one or twos here. <laughs> um, but the one thing that I learned from this or in previous games, there's a one right there, so Blue's able to make it out now. Uh, but the one thing that I've learned is Okay, so I got the go size, so I can click on one of my pieces and exchange it with the blue one right there. I still got a little bit of clipping going on right there, but that knocks him back to start, and I took over his spot. Unfortunately, if he draws a tier one, he's gonna knock. Yeah, he's gonna knock me back off. He just got to go menisai. Um, but the one thing that I learned is when when you implement a player control, go ahead and implement the AI or computer control at the same time. Um, that way you're not like doing all the player controls then all of the all the AI controls you kind of work on one problem at work on one problem and solve it both with human inputs and computer input at the same time not exactly at the same time but one right after each other but yeah this has been an awkward game right here I haven't had a lot of movement now the forward card moves you backwards so i did implement this using object-oriented properties so i was able to just say hey fine i just created a method called uh, get previous card called it four times and then i say hey call the method to find the path to that square then move to that square and i'm not going to do a whole code walk through this but this was a project i was expecting to take four or five hours and it ended up taking i don't know how long i've spent on this but it's been a couple of weeks that i worked on this i really didn't anticipate that i do have some of the more like um, i wouldn't say awkward but some of the more i want to obscure things like the slides so if you end on a slide square that's going to slide you all the way down 
I still need to go back and finish up the graphics on this. So one thing that I've learned in the past is finish all of the game engine first, then go back and then finish, make it look pretty. So yeah, here I drew a 12. So I'm going to move to the slide square. So what it's going to do when I lined on that slide, it's going to slide me all the way down. Now you can only slide on your opponent's square or your opponent's color. Then when you slide, you knock off all other pieces on that slide. Uh, one other thing that I implemented, so here's the two. I did implement the highlighting of the squares that you can click. So I can click on one of my guys in the home or the start area and it'll like highlight saying, hey, you can click on that one. Or I can click my guy up here and then it will highlight where he can move up there. So you can either take one out of the start or move your other guy two squares. And then you get to go again with the two. So here's a four. One one trick that you want to learn with, with a game like this is you can click on one that has just exited their starting area. And then if you get a four, then you can move back four. Then you don't have to go all the way around the board. You can instantly go to your home area. So the overall objective is to get all your pieces uh, to the home area. Um, the cards, I just have like an object-oriented deck of cards where I have a card object and the deck is just basically a list of cards. And I kind of did this card flipping. It took a little while to get that working the right way. But basically, I just set a target destination and just kind of just flip it. Oh, so I got... Oh, and here's one other trick. If you have like a four right here, you can't end up in a spot already occupied by one of your other pieces. So I can go back, take that one back for right there. Now the trickiest one was the seven because seven is a split. You can split your your seven spaces between two pawns, and you get in some really weird conditions with that because potentially one of your pieces can end up in the location of another piece if that other piece has moved. So you kind of got to kind of like what I was talking about with the breadth for a search or the depth for a search. You got to kind of figure out what your other places can do and then allow the, for the second piece what spaces it can move to. So a little bit tricky with that uh, with the sevens right there. So with 10 you can either move 10 spaces forward or one space back. So you can see when I click this guy he's either got the one behind him highlighted or 10 spaces forward so I can just move them forward. The hopping is pretty simple. I just set a target destination of where it moves on a hop and then I just move it directly upward then downward. So it's really moving in a triangular fashion. So there's the Gomenasai card. He's going to knock my one right there back to the home spot. One thing is you have to land exactly on the number of spaces to get to your home square. So that's where the sevens are kind of important. That way you can split between one piece to get at home and then another piece to finish up the number of spaces. Uh, oh, one other cool thing that I implemented this was stats. I spent quite a bit of time on the stat screen right here, but it will show you in real time the number of moves you've made, the number of cards you've drawn, the total number of time that each player has spent. Uh, so here's a one. And the number of go or number of sorry. So when I click this blue guy right here, I'm going to knock him back to the start, and then my go count went up to two. Um, 
And also I have return to start how many times somebody's going inside you and returning you back to start. So I was pretty, I was pretty happy with my little uh, stat screen right there. And a lot of time that I spent was like getting the in-game conditions working correctly because sometimes the in-game conditions would be a little bit different than uh, uh, the regular gameplay. Like if you draw two on, uh, if you have one pawn, one piece that's two away from winning, if you draw two, then that pawn will move two into the home square, but you don't want to draw again. The game should just end at that point. So there's a lot of like weird conditions like that you gotta program in. So yeah, I was thinking sorry, that's gonna be an easy game to implement there, but yeah, it's a lot more complex than I expected. So Matthew here, he's been uh, hopping in our Discord here and showing off some of the stuff he's working on. He he showed off uh, a game last month that he put on Itch.io, and he's working on a new one now. It kind of looks like Star Wars right here. Uh, kind of looks like you're in the desert with with cacti and all that, and a big uh, battle cruiser. And he was asking some questions about. Uh, uh, UI implementation and what's the best way to re represent some things, I guess, like health and things like that. Uh, then we got off, yeah, we've had some off-topic conversations about languages and things like that. So, Mythic, M-Y-T-H-I-K, uh, he's been working on Mazes 2. This is kind of the reason that kind of pushed me in the direction of uh, implementing or doing a talk this month on mazes. So he's but he's doing more of a, like an ASCII type maze. And what's really cool with his implementation right here is he's kind of doing the line of sight with his character here. So it's kind of shooting a ray from the character out in all directions and uh, based on whether there's a line of sight to the other to the other cells it shows up or not so let's see here yeah that was a week ago then he has an, another video right here yeah so this is before he got the line of sight working right here so you just got like a little warrior type guy in a maze and just trying to find uh, not sure if he has a starting ending point right now i think it's just getting it going through the maze right there Let's see what else he has. And I think he's adding like these are either like little portals or coins. It looks like he's got potions in here, <clears throat> just different things to collect. So yeah, he's been working on pretty cool stuff there. So yeah, check out check out Mythic's videos there. And, yeah, I think that's it. I don't think there's anything else. Yeah, people have been posting some good, like, just general tips and things like that and stuff that other people not in Knoxville game design have have created. But this one looked kind of cool. It's like an ASCII Doom game. And I, I'm not sure if this was implemented in 3D first or if this is a pure implementation or what. Um, but it looked pretty cool. I don't it almost looks like it's actual ASCII texturing on top of textures instead of an actual pure implementation in that. But I don't know. I haven't looked at the code for that one. 
I think that's it. Uh, yeah, Lunum Dare 48's coming up in April, so still a couple of months away, but it's actually going to be LD48. It used to be called LD48. That was the whole old hashtag. So now it's going to be the actual 48th LD48, <laughs> which is which is kind of funny. But, uh, yeah, the theme submission is open now. I actually submitted a couple of themes earlier. I think you actually got to log in. So if you haven't created your LD account yet, uh, you can create it there. But, yeah, it's kind of a tradition for Knox Game Design to do... Ludum Dare. I don't know if we'll be doing a kickoff or not, or if there's any interest or anything like that. But anyway, that's going to wrap it up for February 2021. Hopefully, I'll be back next month with a new topic. Not sure what that will be at the moment, but yeah, jump in our Discord. Yeah, all yeah, as always, you can find us uh, at knoxgamedesign.org you can find all our past videos and presentation slides and links to example code and updates on what people in Knoxville Knox area or generally just anybody that jumps in the discord like you don't have to be I need to switch back over you don't have to be in Knoxville um, I'm not in Knoxville, but, uh, if you just want to come out and, yeah, hang in our Discord, that's cool, too. Anybody that's interested in game development, game design, is welcome. But, yeah, check out that, and, yeah, as always, we've got the link to the podcast right here at the top, and we're on a bunch of different places. Try to keep it updated, but, uh, the primary link goes to the Apple Podcast right there but you can sign up for our mailing list right here on the site and also you can get links to the latest uh podcast episode if you just want to listen through the web browser Uh, i've been trying to update the directory with the latest contact information and i kind of redid the the social media handles and trying to keep all the um, expertise links up to date yeah, if you want to be added to the list, just let me know. I just request that you like participate in the Discord or in real life, one way or another. Um, but yeah, I think it's a good reference right here for anyone who wants to find a, a developer in the area uh, who has, like, if you want to know somebody that's good in 2D art or somebody that's good in music or specializes in music or game maker or unity or 3d modeling it's just kind of a quick reference list right there so yeah that's going to wrap it up for february 2021 i appreciate everyone out there listening and watching